Hey there, and welcome to Shadow Facts. That's facts as in horse treat-sized pieces of information, a podcast about Lord of the Rings. But only the horse parts. I'm Joey. And I'm Caitlin. And And this this is is our our oath. We vow to discuss every horse mentioned or visible in both the Lord of the Rings books and film adaptations, and we do mean every. We vow to rank every horse mentioned above. We vow to rewrite one of Tolkien's songs per episode to be about horses, live on the pod. And last but not least, we vow to answer the call of Gondor when the beacon is lit. By which we mean, answer your questions about Lord of the Rings horses to the best of our ability. episode oh don't do numbers 11 oh no this is our bit now exposing ourselves as non-math knowers constantly constantly um but no i put it in my thing in my planner that um, nope this is episode 12 (laughs) (laughs) yeah because i thought last time was episode 11 yeah Yes, you're right. I was thinking 11 because I also wrote in my planner, release Shadow Facts episode 11 on December 8th, which has not happened yet as we record this. And Gazing so, into the future. Honestly, I think it might yeah. be a more concise naming structure if we just chose like arbitrary like code names and like assign those to an episode instead of trying to do numbers, mm. which we have somehow made more complicated. This is episode Frodo and Sam are so in love, I can't stop thinking about it and crying about it. This is episode we're finally done with Two Towers, officially. Yeah. I mean, at the end of this episode, we will be. Our last Two Towers episode. Our last Two Towers episode. You know what the Two Towers really are to me? Love and love? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say Frodo's love and Sam's love, but yes. (laughs) Oh, fellas, is it gay for there to be two towers? <laughs> oh, I have to put my cookie uh, pen away. That's going to be an oh, issue. Oh, yeah. Get rid of that. So, speaking of the ring and temptation, damn. <laughs> so. They're, they're so in love. Do you want to just dive right into how in love they are? Um. Yeah, I mean, I want to go in order. Yeah, um, we actually do have, I gotta say, there's more horse content than I was expecting in the section of the book, which is to say literally any horse content at all. So that's kind of a pleasant surprise. And it's actually my first notes in the section. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, um, I just, just to clarify, this is on chapters eight, nine, and 10 of book four. Mm -hmm. So that's the stairs of Kirith Ungol through the choices of Master Samwise or whatever. Yeah. The choices Mm -hmm. of Master Samwise, which, oh God. Yeah. 
Um, so we've already watched, like, in this first chapter, like, this stuff has already happened in the movie. Um, this is, like, when they, you know, get to that stairway and then Minas Morgul is there and there's weird light and all of that. That's, like, the stuff that happens in this chapter. And I've got to say, I was also confused by it in the book. I, yes, I could not visualize what was happening. And also, I was surprised, at, like, even though it was a confusing mess. Like, the the thing that we saw and described as Peter Jackson happening actually did seem reminiscent of what was happening here. Both of them were confusing yeah. and both felt unnecessary to me. Yeah. Um. One of the things that I did, I want to point out Um. on, well, it's the first page for me, but um, uh, it's kind of this first description of Minas Morgul, and it mm-hmm. says, um... All was dark about it, earth and sky, but it was lit with light, not the imprisoned moonlight welling through the marble walls of Minas Ithil long ago, tower of the moon, fair and radiant in the hollow of the hills, paler indeed than the moon ailing in some slow eclipse, was the light of it now, wavering and blowing like a noisome exhalation of decay, a corpse light, a light that illuminated nothing. Um... Which A, is a great description, and B, reminded me of Austin Walker talking about stars in Hyron. Oh, yeah. Being, like, bright, but not illuminating things around them. Yeah. And then, yeah, I don't know. I feel like Austin had a few different times of, like, something being dark, but shining, and then something being, like, bright, but not illuminating stuff Yeah, bright, it. but in, like, a hollow way. And, Yeah. And that's what I was thinking about. Um, yeah. And then like, there's more of that kind of thing. Like, like these white flowers that are like beautiful, but they're like sort of demented shapes. Um, and like everything smells rotten and the river is like steaming, but then it's really cold. So that detail actually, for whatever reason, was the thing that like chilled me the most. That's very literal, but that I found the most, like, frightening in his kind of scene setting of this. The water yeah. flowing beneath was silent and it steamed, but the vapor that rose from it, curling and twisting about the bridge, was deadly cold. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I generally, like, I generally like the way Tolkien writes, but this next bit with Frodo, it says, Frodo felt his senses reeling and his mind darkening. Then suddenly, as if some force were at work other than his own will, he began to hurry, tottering forward, his groping hands held out, his head lolling from side to side. And, like, he just goes into fucking, like, zombie zombie mode. mode. Yeah, I was actually wondering how you would react to this because of how, how much you don't like its equivalent scenes in in the movies i like both this scene but like anytime frodo is compelled by the ring it's like one thing to see like frodo being in pain or frodo like feeling some complex emotion and another for you know in the movies and then another thing for it to be like explicitly like in the text like frodo felt another will um yeah well i found i found this really interesting because i wasn't i couldn't remember how much that explicitly happens in the text. I still, I think part of the problem is that Peter Jackson makes it happen much more often than it happens in the book. 
And so it just feels like Frodo is sort of like constantly like just, you know, straying directly into extreme danger because he's suddenly compelled by the ring and it just gets old. Totally, which is a scale problem because, you know, all of that is happening in like two hours. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, But this was fascinating because like you have that moment, right? But then like a little bit later, he feels like the compulsion again and fights it. And we get this very sort of clear um, idea of like what is happening in his own head or like his consciousness of it. Right. Um, which I found interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, and actually before that moment, which I do want to talk about, we do have yeah, our horse yeah, references. We'll, we'll get there. Um, but I just wanted to reference it now over, but I don't like this line, like tottering, tottering, groping hands held out, head lolling from side to side. And I mean, partly it's that like, there are a lot of tropes now that it, it's impossible not to think of when you read these words. And I don't think the, you know, this sort of zombie imagery existed in the same way no, in not Tolkien's by a long shot, day. Yeah. And so like, I'm giving him some grace there, but I, I don't know. I don't love that, it. That, that specific image that he captures there doesn't seem to fit within the other pictures that we get of like Frodo's struggle for control of his own like agency. Yeah. The in the next paragraph, like so Frodo and Gollum go after him, right? Um mm -hmm. or sorry, Sam and Gollum. Sam goes after him and Gollum says, Not that way, no, not that way, which is directly from the book, we see. Um anyways, and then it says Frodo passed his hand over his brow and wrenched his eyes away from the city on the hill. The luminous tower fascinated him, and he fought the desire that was on him to run up the gleaming road toward its gate. At last, with an effort, he turned back, and as he did so, he felt the ring resisting him, dragging at the chain about his neck, and his eyes, too, as he looked away, seemed for the moment to have been blinded. The darkness before him was impenetrable. And, like, that feels much more effective to me. Like, the idea of, like, that in sort of resisting the temptation, that, like, the way forward suddenly is, like, sort of so obscured. Much more and yeah. Intense. Yeah. So, like, we've talked several times about how effective the horror storytelling in these books are. Mm -hmm. Um. But what really struck me in this segment of the book, like some here and then especially when we get to Shelob, is like how much this part of the story really kind of falls into cosmic horror, which is a really complicated genre with its own baggage. Mm -hmm. um, but like every, you know, other moments have been like, there is a thing that is happening to me that I'm able to understand that frightens me. And some of this segment really steers into that like every moment is like imbued with this like unimagined literally unimaginable hostility like yeah just a few lines before what you were talking about like the way forward being impenetrable when Gollum goes after Frodo and is like no not that way it says the breath between his teeth seemed to tear the heavy silence like a whistle and he cowered to the ground in terror yeah and then especially when we get into the Shelob stuff 
you know, that becomes much more explicit. I mean, they even talk about like Sheila being an older, yeah, an older evil than Sauron, which I had forgotten about. Uh, but same. it's interesting because, like, it, it it's along you know it's along the same timeline as like Lovecraft and other cosmic horror stuff. But that's just like not how I think of these books. No, this, me neither. The resemblance is really uh, striking here in some places. I thought, yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about horror as a genre and especially not cosmic mm-hmm. horror, but I hear, like, from what I do know, like, I hear what you're saying and, you know, see the parallels. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so they uh, continue. I just, I just have to point out the line where Frodo says he needs to rest for a minute and he says, it's heavy on me, Sam lad. Very heavy. Yeah. Sam lad. Yeah. Sam lad. There's lots of Sam and Frodo call each other increasingly cute things in this chapter. It's it is so untenable. Much. I like I was reading this and I was just like I I don't I I don't know how I mean mostly I just ignore like people who read this as somehow like a platonic friendship because I don't care and <laughs> I you know I just don't I don't need to like waste my energy like whatever but I just I don't know how anyone can read this and not not feel moved feel moved and I have I actually I have a little more to say about that but I want to say it later when we've covered like more of these moments um yeah do you have anything else before horses um I don't think so just that so like I was trying to figure out like what what happens here like so like I, Gollum is yeah, like no like you can't rest this. here we have to go we have to go and Sam is like yeah Gollum is right we can't stay here and Frodo says I'll try wearily he got and, to and, Go- and Gollum says specifically it's because like we can't stay here because eyes can see us when they come to the bridge they will see us yes and then it says but it was too late at that moment, the rock quivered and trembled beneath them. The great rumbling noise, louder than ever before, rolled in the ground and echoed in the mountains. Then with searing suddenness, there came a great red flash. Far beyond the eastern mountains, it leapt into the sky and splashed the lowering clouds with crimson. In that valley of shadow and cold, deathly light, it seemed unbearably violent and fierce." peaks of stone and ridges like notched knives sprang out in staring black against the uprushing flame in Gorgoroth. Then came a great crack of thunder. And Minas Morgul and answered. And Minas Morgul oh, answered. Yeah. Um, it keeps going. I, I actually, I, I find Tolkien's descriptions of landscapes, like, although often very poetic, still kind of parsable. And I not only in like what is happening here, but I felt like in a lot of his descriptions of the physical places in this chunk specifically, I I just had a really hard time kind of keeping track of where we were and like understanding the shapes he was trying to convey. Yeah. It got uh, obfuscated. Um, I think so like the, the peaks of stone and ridges like notch knives were, it's just like, mountains that we're suddenly seeing the silhouettes of because there's like fire happening behind them because there's the red light behind it yeah but like is that like what where is gorgoroth 
Let's, oh my God, let's, let's look at the maps. Let's look at what the maps. This is, is great for an audio medium. Yeah. I mean, so they are still headed farther east. So Gorgoroth is farther east from them and is lit up. So they're seeing the mountain ranges lit up from the east. Mm, where is Minas Morkel? Oh, there's Joey. Minas Morkel. Where's, like, the main gate into Mordor that they stopped at first? Um, that's up by Daggerlad, isn't it? That's up north? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because yeah, the Yeah, they came in from there. the swamps, which are north. So they've been heading s- south and east. Yeah, and then they have to get through those mountains. Um, yeah, so, like, on, like on the map. order it. Right, right. So they're at Minas Morgul, which is here, and Mount Doom is still farther south and east. Um, Do you have a fold-out map in your book? Yes. We've we've gone over this before, too. (laughs) Um, Let me admire the map. Okay. Um, It's beautiful. It's, like, in black and red, and... Yeah! It's... Oh, it's good. It's good. Um, uh, Gorgoroth isn't... Well, in I see like plateau of Gorgoroth kind of in that northwest corner of Mordor or like quarter, but I don't know where this like volcano or whatever is coming from. I mean, it's Mount. Hold on. I mean, is it Mount Doom that is spraying fire right now? That makes sense. But I don't even know where that is on this map. No, it's not. It's not marked on. My map. Unless it's marked by a different name that I don't remember. Gorgoroth is near Mount Doom. Oh, wait. I have... I'm sorry. I have The Complete Guide to Middle-Earth here by Robert Foster, which my dear friend Nicole recently gave to me. And I want to... I just want to see if this has anything helpful in it. Oh, it is... Okay, so Oradruin or Oradruin. Is that on your map? It should look like a mountain. Kind of in that top quarter of Mordor. Oh, there's pl- the plateau of Gorgoroth. Um, and then there should Mount- be like yeah, a place yeah, it's marked. Baradur, oh yeah, here it is. Here it is. It's Aura Mount Doom. So Druin. it's actually not yeah, farther that's south. What I was it's about to a say. little bit yeah. north, but it's east. So they are seeing that mountain yes. range lit from the east. Yes. Yeah. So the red flash is just like Sauron, sort of taking action which is like what we've been seeing from the Gandalf Pippin side is like the war is like, you know, there will be no dawn. Like it's happening. Um, And in response to that sort of like signal from Sauron, then Minas Morgul like lights up um, and soldiers march out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Minas Morgul answers with a flare of livid lightnings, forks of blue flame springing up from the tower and from the encircling hills into the sullen clouds. Um, and then we get into horse stuff. Yeah. A great time and place for it. The earth groaned and out of the city there came a cry mingled with harsh high voices as of birds of prey and the shrill neighing of horses wild with rage and fear. There came a rending screech shivering, rising swiftly to a piercing pitch beyond the range of hearing. The hobbits wheeled round towards it and cast themselves down, holding their hands upon their ears. Wow. And then the gate opens, 
the gate is shaped mm-hmm. like an open mouth with gleaming teeth. Uh, and yeah, out of is, the gate, ugh. an army came. Um, and uh, it says, Before them went a great cavalry of horsemen, moving like ordered shadows, and at their head was one greater than all the rest, a rider, all black, save that on his hooded head he had a helm like a crown that flickered with the perilous light. Now he was drawing near the bridge below, and Frodo's staring eyes followed him, unable to wink or to withdraw. Surely there was the Lord of the Nine Riders returned to earth to lead his ghastly host to battle? Here, yes, here indeed was the haggard king, whose cold hand had smitten down the ring-bearer with his deadly knife. The old wound throbbed with pain, and a great chill spread towards Frodo's heart. Yeah, so it's actually, it's really similar to the scene that we watched last time in the movie with the with the, the Witch King instead of being on a fell beast, being on a horse. Yeah. Mm. Which I kind of like because I like the consistency of like, that is that is how they first appeared in Frodo's life, is like the riders mm-hmm. on horses. Yeah. And like at Weathertop, and here he is again. And mm-hmm. also this is interesting because... It's a great cavalry of horsemen. Like, yeah. we really don't in the movies see Sauron's forces on horses. And I assume no. that is... I think they did it for two reasons. I think probably logistically it's easier to film, like, it's easier to film, like, one side on horses than two sides on horses. And yeah. because every, like, what we're talking about is orcs and orakai. It's probably better to not have like stunt stunt riders and like all of the prosthetics necessary. Yeah, yeah. To it's like either we're going to deal with horse safety or like weird weapon and prosthetic safety. Not both of those things at the same time. Right, right, I right, and we talked about like, like, good lord, do we know how many horses there are visible in those scenes? Right. And that's with one side being mounted. Right. Like, and it was already such a huge undertaking. You have to imagine that if they wanted it to be both, it would just yeah. be, like, nightmarish. Also, though, I think it's partly a characterization thing that Peter Jackson made choices about, and I don't know that I... So, like, this is what's interesting to me. It says, like, Frodo could see them small black figures in rank upon rank, marching swiftly and silently, passing outwards in an endless stream. And then before them went a great cavalry of horsemen moving like ordered shadows. And Mm -hmm. when we see the orcs in the film, they're like clanking and they're gross and they're loud. And they're like, not, you know, yes, they're marching in rank, but they're not orderly the way like a well-trained army is you know like it's just like brute force and this like text description is you know paints a very different picture it has like a very different sort of character or vibe and i think in sort of further like debasing the orcs the way like peter jackson did like not putting them on horses like adds to that yeah there's further separation between like them and us totally yeah and I don't Especially like, with... like that, you know, like I'm just, but I'm saying like, it's, yeah. 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 That, of... that difference is so striking in this section because we get so much, um, like of orcs speaking to each other. 
Yeah. Where they just are like, they're just guys. Yeah. They're just dudes, you know? Yeah. Um, so I do want to go back to the first horse line, the shrill neighing of horses wild with rage and fear. Yeah. What about um, it? What does that mean to you? We've talked a few times about like horse moral agency <laughs> um, in this podcast. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, part, like, I think part of the problem is like, I don't, I don't think Tolkien is consistent in his depiction of animals and like how much intention yeah. they have, etc. Um, I think, yeah, certainly like that brings to mind like horses that don't want to be doing the thing that they're doing you know yeah um but well it's like it's like both at the same time like the fear implies that but like the rage reminds me of like our conversation with ben about trained war horses and about that kind of style of trained aggression yeah yeah i don't know just an interesting little wrinkle yeah that's it that's it on horses i hope everyone enjoyed our horse detour yeah um a little smattering of horses in our mostly and our mostly Frodo and Sam are in love podcast today. Yeah. Um, speaking of Frodo, now we get to this point where he feels the compulsion again, but responds differently. And yeah. it's very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So like we see the black rider and then um, he halts suddenly. Uh, there was a pause, a dead silence. Maybe it was the ring that called to the Wraith Lord and for a moment he was troubled, sensing some other power within his valley. This way and that turned the dark head, helmed and crowned with fear, sweeping the shadows with its unseen eyes. Frodo waited, like a bird at the approach of a snake, unable to move, and as he waited, he felt, more urgent than ever before, the command that he should put on the ring. But great as the pressure was, he felt no inclination now to yield to it. He knew that the ring would only betray him, and that he had not, even if he put it on, the power to face the Morgul king. Not yet. There was no longer any answer to that command in his own will, dismayed by terror though it was, and he felt only the beating upon him of a great power from outside. It took his hand, and as Frodo watched with his mind, not willing it but in suspense, as if he looked on some old story far away, it moved the hand inch by inch towards the chain upon his neck. Then his own will stirred. Slowly it forced the hand back and set it to find another thing, a thing lying hidden near his breast. Cold and hard it seemed as his grip closed on it, the file of Galadriel, so long treasured and almost forgotten till that hour. As he touched it, For a while, all thought of the ring was banished from his mind. He sighed and bent his head. And then the Wraith King continues. The Wraith King turned and spurred his horse and rode across the bridge, which would have been a great time for a Wraith King horse description, but that's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Leave us us wanting more, King, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It's just like we... You know, we get this sort of like mo- like play-by-play, play, like moment-by-moment, moment, like Frodo feels the external force and even like his body is like moved and then he counteracts it. Right. It's very explicit. Yeah. I think 
that's part of what frustrates me in the movie is that we never really like see him fight it. Like, yes, he's, there's sort of this overall resistance that's happening, but in the moments when he feels the compulsion, it's just like, oh, it's happening. It's happening. I'm in agony. The ring is going on. And then the thing that interrupts that is like Sam or something external happening. There's never like Frodo feeling the compulsion and acting against it on his own. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is is like a, a collapsing for a shorter narrative and how much of that is like the difficulty of showing that conflict in a way that is like parsable to the audience. Yeah. Because we don't we don't get you you don't get the characters like inner monologue and explanation of like what is happening to them. Yeah. I also um like keep in mind this stuff like is Two Towers books, but it's Return movie. Like, yeah, I'll be curious to see as we get further into Return because there are a few more, um, like Ring Temptation th- scenes that I can think of. Like, if they're characterized different or if they'll strike us differently, having read this text. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Frodo, ugh, beautiful, stupid, noble Frodo. His kind of immediate reaction to all of this happening, he like kind of breaks out of it. And suddenly his heart went out to Faramir. The storm has burst at last, he thought. This great array of spears and swords is going to us Gilead. Will Faramir get across in time? He guessed it, but he did not know the hour. And who can now hold the fords when the king of the Nine Riders comes? And other armies will come. I am too late. All is lost. I tarried on the way. All is lost. Even if my errand is performed, no one will ever know. There will be no one I can tell. It will be in vain. Overcome with weakness, he wept. And still, the host of Morgul crossed the bridge. Like, obviously that does morph into being, like, overwhelmed at, like, the the odds and the futility of what he's trying to do. But I'm so touched that, like, his first thought is, like, Faramir. Like, yeah. this problem is is headed for my dear friend Faramir. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's not just like, yes, he focuses on like the sort of the odds, but it's also like no one will ever know is not like it's not about his own glory. It's about like, like I'm trying to save the world to protect those people. And now I feel like I'm going to save it, but they'll be dead already. So like it won't be matter. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. And then, oh my god, then at a great distance, as if it came out of memories of the Shire, some sunlit early morning when the day called and doors were opening, he heard Sam's voice speaking. Wake up, Mr. Frodo, wake up. Had the voice added, your breakfast is ready, he would hardly have been surprised. Certainly Sam was urgent. Wake up, Mr. Frodo, they're gone, he said. Um... Is it gay to have the voice of your friend be the thing that grounds you and gives you hope and pulls you back to this wretched world? And, like, not just the voice of your friend, the voice of that person uh, telling you, like, good morning and wake up and breakfast is ready? Ah! Yeah. Um, and then he realizes that, you know, Sam is actually talking to him in the present and gets up and feels... A little yeah, better. and then we get the little inversion of this moment, which I really like. Frodo, like, stands up. Despair had not left him, but the weakness had passed. 
He even smiled grimly, feeling now as clearly as a moment before he had felt the opposite, that what he had to do, he had to do if he could, and that whether Faramir or Aragorn or Elrond or Galadriel or Gandalf or anyone else ever knew about it was beside the purpose. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Anyways, and then they go up a horrible long staircase and it's bad and they finally reach, um, like, kind of a break before the next stair and then Gollum says that they have to keep going um, up a longer but easier stair um, before they can rest and then there's a tunnel Yeah, and he says if they get through that they'll be nearly at the top very nearly if they get through oh yes and I'm like he really, mm, that's like, a lot of ifs help there <laughs> yeah he's, re- he's really gone like full Riddler at this point like the the mask is kind of off. Yeah. Um. Um. And then we just hit a couple solid pages where, like, every every new graph like made me feel something. Yeah. I um. I was struck in these chapters by the way, uh, Tolkien characterizes paths and roads. Um. Mm. I feel like maybe there was a point earlier although i'm not sure but this one is really clear um uh it says here the huge cliff face sloped backwards and the path like a snake wound to and fro across it at one point it crawled sideways right to the edge of the dark chasm and frodo um yeah i mean the rest is not really important but i there was another part too where there was this sense of it like creeping around something and then like springing forth again. It gives such a sense of like, I don't know, dynamicism and movement to just like up a, a path. Di- D- yeah. Dynamism. Thank you. I was like, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. So I did, I did think that was interesting for a different reason because between that and they talk about like, as they're on this, these like horrible winding stairs, being able to look back down and see the like eerie, like palely shining road to Kirith Ungle, because the whole, like all of, all of Kirith Ungle is like, is glowing in this really off-putting way. And it just, mm-hmm. it, it felt like, I hear what you're saying about like the dynamism and it, that is like, it's very cool, but it also felt like, oh, uh, this place where like, you can't even, you can't even like, trust the the road you're walking mm. on like the, yeah. the like the sh- the shining road like shining with the imprisoned moonlight and like this trail up the side of the up the side of the mountain like winding under your snake under yeah, your feet totally. like a snake like it just feels like you your your eyes and feet yeah. can't be trusted yeah. um it's really absolutely the spot was at the at the very beginning, I was going to say, um, it says that the road, like, there's, you know, they come up kind of against the a great shoulder of rock, and the path, um, uh, it says, crawling under its shadow, the road went on, and rounding it, sprang east again, and began to climb steeply. So there's, you know, there's this sense of, like, yeah. slowing, of crawling around the shadow of something, and then, like, springing forth again and here too i mean like i'm not saying it's like a a positive description but just like that the the path has no no no. it's like character because of the way tolkien describes its 
Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, I I know. I I agree with you. I think it contributes to that sense of like of like untrustworthiness that like even the like static path you're on is like an is a is a willfully mm, unwieldy mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um I really like I was talking about being able to like look down and see the path beneath them. So Frodo glances down and saw below him uh, as a vast deep pit, the great ravine at the head of the Morgul Valley. Down in its depths glimmered like a glow worm thread the wraith road from the dead city to the nameless pass. He turned hastily yeah. away. Mm. Um, okay. They go and they, they see a tower and... I like that you said they go at the same moment that <laughs> I said they stop. Yep, we're going. Um, we have so much to talk about and I don't actually want to record for four hours. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we don't have to talk about everything. We just talk about the things we want to talk about. Um, okay. They start to smell Kirith Ungle, which is bad. Um, but then... Well, hold on. How far ahead did you jump? Not that far. Um, it is where they've they've stopped. They're having their last meal before they go in. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Um... Yeah, and they they explicitly say it might be their last meal. Yes. Um... The... Which... I'm not okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then Sam says some things, which we've gotten kind of part of this monologue in the film, but I would like to read part of it here. Um, and I'm trying to decide which part. Yeah, there's a continuation of a theme in the film that they do here in the book that I actually, like, I really love and I wish had made it into the film. Yeah. Um, so Sam says... Uh, and we shouldn't be here at all if we'd known more about it before we started. But I suppose it's often that way. The brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo. Adventures, as I used to call them. I used to think that they were things the wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for. Because they wanted them. Because they were exciting and life was a bit dull. A kind of a sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered. Or the ones that stay in the mind. Folk seem to have been just landed in them, usually. Their paths were laid that way, as you put it. But I expect they had lots of chances, like us, of turning back. Only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know, because they'd have been forgotten. We hear about those as just went on, and not all to a good end, mind you. At least not to what folk inside a story and not outside it call a good end. You know, coming home and finding things all right, though not quite the same. Like old Mr. Bilbo. Uh, ah! ouch, ouch. Um, coming home and finding things all right, though not quite the same, stares directly into the camera. Yeah. Uh, and there's some more. And then, uh, Frodo says, no, they never end as tales. Um, well, cause Sam says, don't the great tales never end? Um, and Frodo says, no, but the people in them come and go when their parts ended. Our part will end later or sooner. And then Sam says, and then we can have some rest and some sleep. He laughed grimly. And I mean just that, Mr. Frodo. I mean plain, ordinary rest and sleep and waking up to a morning's work in the garden. I'm afraid that's all I'm hoping for all the time. All the big important plans are not for my sort. Still, I wonder if we shall ever be put into songs or tales. We're in one, of course, but I mean put into words, you know. 
told by the fireside, or read out of a great big book with red and black letters, years and years afterwards. And people will say, let's hear about Frodo and the Ring. And they'll say, yes, that's one of my favorite stories. Frodo was very brave, wasn't he, Dad? Yes, my boy, the famousest of the hobbits. And that's saying a lot. Yeah, which is very, you know, um, akin to that scene we really loved in the movie. I do like the addition of, like, Sam saying, like, what rest means yeah. to him. Um, but that, that moment of, like, Sam realizing, like, how they are connected to the larger narrative. Like, oh, you've got some of the light and the stargolass. They're talking about the yeah. Silmarils. Like, why to think of it? We're in the same tale. It's still going on. Don't the great tales yeah. never end? Like, that moment... Um, really, I don't know. It, it yeah. really gets me. Like, I love, I love that idea of continuity. And I also really love thinking about them thinking about it in the moment and like how soothing it must be for them. Yeah. Yeah. That sense that they're like part of that, that I, I don't, that there's like a legacy, a heritage of, yeah, you know, this... yeah. Not, that not only that they're a part of, but that like, even though, um, you know, even though their parts in the story ends, like the story doesn't end, even if it feels like it specifically in this moment, like with the one ring, like there will be like there will be other stories like it doesn't it's never it's never fully the end. Yeah, I was struck by the line about red out of a great big book with red and black letters because literally right because i'm reading this out of a great big book with red and black letters yeah all all of tolkien's original illustrations are in red and black ink which feels like that's such a nice touch yeah um and then of course in response to sam saying that about frodo frodo laughs and it's like pure and clear and beautiful and then says why sam to hear you somehow makes me as merry as if the story was already written but you've left out one of the chief characters samwise the stout-hearted i want to hear more about sam dad why didn't they put in more of his talk dad that's what i like it makes me laugh and frodo wouldn't have got far without sam would he dad now mr frodo you shouldn't make fun I was serious. So was I. God, yeah. Love it. Love it in the movie. Love it here. Also, I love that they're both framing this as like a kid calling each of them dad. And I'm just imagining them being dads together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. And it just... (sighs) Fellas, if you thought... If you thought that was you know, akin to a declaration of love. Just wait until we oh, get God. to what is coming yeah. up. So they've been I, having this conversation. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, just, I'm sorry. I I do want to move more quickly, but then there are so many things. Just that there's this line about Gollum, too. Why, even Gollum might be good in a tale, yeah, says Sam. Yeah. Better than he is to have by you, anyway. And he used to like tales himself once, by his own account. I wonder if he thinks he's the hero or the villain. Yeah, and that's like, I mean, it's just it's like so meta, but like really works too. And I, yeah, there's there's fucking big Gollum feels in this section because like in the middle of all this like fucking geyser of Frodo and Sam love, there is like the single most sympathetic moment of Gollum's portrayal so far. I think so. Like. Yeah, 
it's rough. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, Gollum so, has disappeared. Yep. And Frodo and, and Sam are de- kind of debating what to do and acknowledging that, like, hey, Gollum and his motivations are a problem. Yes. Um, but that he's not about to turn them over to the enemy, Mordor, Sauron, etc., because that would be bad for him. But because that, you know he would lose the ring. Yes. Uh, and then Sam says, well, Frodo says, you know, um, we're not there yet to the border because Sam is like, he's not going to let us take it over the border without making some kind of trouble. Um, and then Sam says, no, but we'd better keep our eyes skinned till we do. If we're caught napping, Stinker will come out on top pretty quick. Not but what it would be safe for you to have a wink now, master. Safe if you lay close to me. I'd be dearly glad to see you have a sleep. I'd keep watch over you. And anyway, if you lay near with my arm round you, no one could come pawing you without your Sam knowing it. Ah, sleep, said Frodo, and sighed, as if out of the desert he had seen a mirage of cool green. Yes, even here I could sleep. Sleep, then. Lay your head in my lap. Ah! Ah! And so Gollum found them hours later when he returned, crawling and creeping down the path out of the gloom ahead. Sam sat propped against the stone, his head dropping sideways and his breathing heavy. In his lap lay Frodo's head, drowned deep in sleep. Upon his white forehead lay one of Sam's brown hands, and the other lay softly upon his master's breast. Peace was in both their faces. Yeah. I love... So, this is all so gay, but also, what I specific... Like, a thing that I really like is, like, Sam asking Frodo to get some sleep has the cadence to me of, like, a 50s crooner love song, like... Safe if you lay close to me, I'd be dearly glad to see you have a sleep. I'll keep watch over you. And if you lay near with my arm around you, no one can come near. Like, it just, it feels like he is singing to Frodo. We have to write that song. Yeah. I mean, not for the podcast. I mean, music, like, separately. Yeah. We have to, that, hmm, hmm. And then... And then, so this this spills directly into the Gollum scene, which I do yes. want to do this little chunk of text just because yes. this Gollum moment Yeah, yeah, is... yeah. No, go, go for it. Gollum looked at them. A strange expression passed over his lean, hungry face. The gleam faded from his eyes, and they went dim and gray, old and tired. A spasm of pain seemed to twist him, and he turned away, peering back up toward the pass, shaking his head, as if engaged in some interior debate. Then he came back, and slowly putting out a trembling hand, very cautiously he touched Frodo's knee. But almost the touch was a caress. For a fleeting moment, could one of the sleepers have seen him, they would have thought that they beheld an old weary hobbit, shrunken by the years that had carried him far beyond his time, beyond friends and kin, and the fields and streams of youth. An old, starved, pitiable thing. Oh, God. This line, the years that had carried him beyond his time, beyond friends and kin, like... And the fields and streams of youth. Bro, I am not okay. No. 
And Smeagol's not either. Yeah, dude. Espe- yeah, especially especially with, like, this moment is already so resonant. And then with the, like, Smeagol-Deagle lens, like, it's just, it's just more so. It's Gollum, yeah. like, literally reaching out for, like, what he had and destroyed. I know. I know. Oh, God, I'm gonna actually cry now. It's... <laughs> Yeah. It's just and a then lot. And then Frodo, Frodo yeah, yeah, like, uh, but at that touch, Frodo stirred and cried out softly in his sleep, and immediately Sam was wide awake. The first thing he saw was Gollum pawing at Master, as he thought, Hey, you, he said roughly, what are you up to? Um, And then, of course, Gollum, I mean, Gollum says nothing, and then they have this whole conflict, and it's just, like, so rough because like of course sam responds the way he does he's incredibly protective of frodo gollum is dangerous and like gollum yeah gollum has led them here to kill them right um but also gollum in that moment was not dangerous and they had a chance for like further sort of connection and redemption and this pushes him away and you know, Sam says he was sneaking and then Gollum like doesn't let that go. He's like sneaking, sneaking. Hobbits always so polite. Yes. Oh, nice hobbits. Smeagol brings them up secret ways that nobody else could find. Tired he is. Thirsty he is. Yes, thirsty. And he guides them and he searches for paths and they say sneak, sneak. Very nice friends. Oh, yes, my precious. Very nice. Sam felt a bit remorseful, though not more trustful. Yeah. And and he does. He does genuinely apologize. Like, he explains, like, I shouldn't have been sleeping, and that made me sharp. But we're so tired, like, and Frodo needed to sleep. I'm sorry. But, you know, I'm sorry. Where have you been? Which is, like, Sam then kind of, like, trying to restart that moment and extend the olive branch. And yeah. Gollum just responds, sneaking. Okay. And the green glint did not leave his eyes. This, like, yeah. this, like page and a half is just like the most gut-wrenching like pin you're like pinballing from emotion to emotion oh God. yeah it's so rough and then like you know Gollum sort of keeps saying like sneaking things and sam says i think we shall get tired of that word soon but never mind i'll wake master up gently he smoothed <sighs> the hair back from frodo's brow and bending down spoke softly to him Wake up, Mr. Frodo. Wake, the bros up. wake up. Frodo stirred and opened his eyes and smiled, seeing Sam's face bending over him. Calling me early, aren't you, Sam? He said. It's dark still. That bro. Ah! Bro! <sighs> and then, and then we, so like there's that incredible moment of softness and then we go back to like Gollum and Sam conflict because Gollum calls himself a sneak to Frodo and Frodo says don't take names to yourself Smeagol it's unwise whether they are true or false Smeagol has to take what's given him answered Gollum he was given that name by kind master Samwise the hobbit that knows so much Frodo looked at Sam yes sir he said I did use the word waking up out of my sleep sudden and all and finding him at hand I said I was sorry but I soon shan't be and it's just like then Sam, who's like ashamed of like making things worse, has to like admit it to Frodo, and well, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. That's that's like a a moment with layers because like Sam Frodo all the while has been encouraging 
Sam to like be kinder and more empathetic to Gollum, not necessarily to mm-hmm. trust him. And like Sam has struggled to do that. And then Sam did have this moment like of his own accord where like he and Gollum without Frodo's supervision, which the last time he and Gollum had a conversation was the like, if you, if you do anything to Frodo, like I will come for you. Does he say that in the book though? Um, That was a movie conversation. I think something happened. Does something, I feel like something similar happens in the book. Maybe not. No, maybe, maybe not. Okay. So disregard that. But, Sam and Sam and Gollum have been more hostile, especially when Frodo isn't around mm-hmm. to mediate that. And so for Sam yeah. of his own accord to like apologize and try and make this moment right and then Gollum to immediately fling it back in his face in front of Frodo is like Yeah. It's ouchy. And it's so difficult. And then like Sam can't it's I mean, it reminds me of like when you have kind of like a difficult like sibling and parent dynamic and like the one sibling will tattle on the other and then the parent like isn't sort of taking the time to actually like figure out what's going on and just listens to the one kid and so then the other kid can't can't sort of like fight back on the tattling because they'll just get in more trouble like it like it feels it's like the whole, Sam it's the is whole thing in that position about like institutional you know? neutrality yeah and like why that doesn't work um yeah, yeah. and also I also love, like, I feel like Sam is such a consistently characterized, um, espe- as, like, especially in his dialogue, and, like, this little line of, I said I was sorry, but I soon shan't be, mm-hmm. just, like, is really satisfying because it does feel like it's just, it's so Sam. Yeah. And then Frodo offers uh, Gollum, you know, his freedom to go where he wants um, because he's, like, led them inside of the pass. Um, and Gollum says, no, like, you can't find the way in yourself, so I have to keep going with you. Yeah, and he, he ends, he ends the chapter on no rest, no food, not yet, which is so menacing. Yeah. And then actually, that was like the kind of the greatest density of notes for the entire section. Yeah, I think we can be a little more focused for the other two chapters on and as stated we already got all of our horse references out of the way check (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh what was your favorite horse of those horse references (laughs) um i liked the horse three rows back in the dark cavalry oh great (laughs) um okay so they uh realize that the place where the bad smell is coming from is the entrance to the tunnel that they have to go through um and Gollum says this is the entrance to the tunnel he did not speak its name Torach Ungol Shelob's lair Ungol is literally elvish for spider um out of it came a stench not the sickly odor of decay in the meads of Morgul but a foul reek as if filth unnameable were piled and hoarded in the dark within. Yeah. They go inside and it's dark. It's capital D dark. In a few steps, they were in utter and an impenetrable dark. Not since the lightless passages of Moria had Frodo or Sam known such darkness. And if possible, here it was deeper and denser. Uh, Which I bring up 
you know, both to, like, establish the scene and also, like, these kids have PTSD from their terrible road trip. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Um, So they're going by touch and then, like, uh, they feel stuff hanging down, which is, like, spider web probably, but they can't tell what it is. And then... Gollum gives them the slip. This moment. Well, before Gollum gives them the slip... Or before they've realized he's given yeah, them Gollum, the slip. Yeah, Gollum gave them the slip a while ago, but they kind yeah. of, it seems to me that they like kind of proceed without realizing that for a while. Sam, so one hour, two hours, three hours, how many had they passed in this lightless hole? Hours, days, weeks rather. Sam left the tunnel side and shrank towards Frodo and their hands met and clasped. And so they still went on. Yeah. Ah! And then they come to a fork in the path. Yeah. Um. Um. Or no, they they pass an unseen they're... opening. They pass a bigger opening that like more smell came from, and they were like, which is the, which is the first opening? They haven't. It's just been like the one tunnel so far, right? Uh. No, I think they had passed smaller openings. All yeah, they had. They've been passing openings on either side, but they've been. Oh, just staying in the main tunnel. Yeah, and they've been smaller openings, but then there's like an a bigger opening that Frodo almost falls sideways into, and out of it came a reek so foul and a sense of lurking malice so intense that Frodo reeled, and then they're like, it all comes from here, the stench and the peril, run! And they get past it. And then they come I, to a fork. I do like that little moment because it explicitly says that Frodo dragged Sam to his yeah. feet, forcing his own limbs to move. Mm-hmm. Sam stumbled beside him. One steps, two steps, three steps, the last six steps. Maybe they had passed, blah, blah, blah. But but I like that because so much of... It's not that Frodo is is incompetent like we know in the books. Like he sell, he He's the one who like rode Asphaloth's horse's like past the fort of Isen and called the water horse blah 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 but like i do well, like well he didn't call the water horses Gandalf did but he what he did have much more agency in that scene than he 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 did like an yes. elf invocation that helped my point is is that i like this little moment because mm-hmm. usually we see sam being the one who has to help frodo and i do like seeing this little moment of frodo helping sam yeah. Yes. And then after it's after that they like make their kind of little breathless escape here that they realize that Gollum has ditched them and they are fully lost. Yeah. Um well, yeah, they there's a fork and they call for Gollum and he's not there and then they realize that one of them is blocked anyways, so they go the other way, but then they hear something behind them. They had not gone more than a few yards when from behind them came a sound startling and horrible in the heavy padded silence, a gurgling, bubbling noise and a long, venomous hiss. They wheeled round, but nothing could be seen. Yeah, and this is what I was talking about, kind of like cosmic horror earlier. Like this stuff with Shelob is specifically what I'm getting at. And like what I mean are like the trappings of like like something that induces so much fear that it is like literally like unknowable or yeah. 
<laughs> is a noble and therefore creates fear. Mm-hmm. Um, other potencies there are in Middle-earth, powers of night, and they are old and strong. Um, and just some of these descriptions. like Yeah. I mean, the way it talks about, like, Shelob's, like, malice and hostility and everything is just, like, so intense. Um, yeah, yeah. And also, Tolkien, who usually is, like, pretty, like, upfront with, like, this is this is the shape of the thing, really spends his time, like, kind of threading out descriptions of Shelob so that you do not fully understand what she is or what she looks like. You kind of get it in these little yeah morsels, which is mm-hmm. not how he usually does descriptions, which I think really adds to this, like, really only being able to comprehend this thing in kind of small bursts. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So Sam has this moment where he... Um, says, I wish old Tom was near us now. Well, in his head, he says that. Then as he stood, darkness about him and a blackness of despair and anger in his heart, it seemed to him that he saw a light, a light in his mind, almost unbearably bright at first, as a sun ray to the eyes of one long hidden in a windowless pit. Then the light became color, green, gold, silver, white, far off, as in a little picture drawn by elven fingers. (laughs) great but i'm just like that was a weird unnecessary detail so i don't understand like like tolkien can't just say like in his mind's eye he saw this but no as in a little picture drawn by elven fingers horrible and also that that does not conjure tolkien elves that conjures fucking santa's elves keebler elves like yeah it feels like in um, like in, you know, Terry Pratchett books when like the can like a camera actually works because there's like a tiny there's man a tiny in there imp. who's like painting a picture. Like that's yeah. what that feels Absolutely. like. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my god. That's um, that like Frodo and Sam are just are just like mechs driven by like little elf pilots. Yeah. Anyways. In his mind's eye, he saw the Lady Galadriel standing on the grass in Lorien, and gifts were in her hands. And you, ring-bearer, he heard her say, remote but clear, for you I have prepared this. And as uh, Shelob moves closer, um, Sam says, The lady's gift, the star glass, a light to you in dark places, she said it was to be. The star glass! And Frodo is like, the star glass oh right a light when all other lights go out even though he held it in his hand like the night before i know but now he's all you know horror uh sort of frozen um yeah and he holds aloft the file of gladriel and it begins to burn with a silver flame a minute heart of dazzling light they get chased around by shelob who they quickly realize like the starlight does have some effect on, but, like, not enough to stop her, and they have to get out. So they have a really harrowing chase Yeah, I just want to read this one line. Monstrous and abominable eyes they were, bestial and yet filled with purpose and with hideous delight, gloating over their prey, trapped beyond all hope of escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and then, and interestingly, the... The narration switches a few times to, like, Shelob's point of view? Yeah, just just a little bit. Like, the first time that, she, she, like, Shelob is exposed to the starlight, um, 
they wavered. Doubt came into them as light approached. One by one they dimmed. This is about Shelob's eyes and drew back. Mm -hmm. No brightness so deadly had ever afflicted them before. From sun and moon and star they had been safe underground, but now a star had descended into the very earth. Um, which, ugh. Yeah. That, that, a star descending into the earth is so striking. Yeah. And they, they make a beeline for wherever they can get out and end up trapped. Yeah, at some point Frodo sort of confronts her and she's pushed back for a while and then they run and are, yes, then they come upon the exit that is blocked by huge thick spider web. Yeah, and actually I really like the way he describes them, which is that that like they kind of are, there's like a visual trick to them that like Frodo and Sam can't Frodo looked and before him he saw a grayness which the radiance of the star glass did not pierce and did not illuminate as if it were a shadow that being cast by no light no light could dissipate. Um yeah, which I really like. And there's some hijinks trying to cut through it. <laughs> Sam really puts his back into it with his own blade and it does not work. But Sting, the elvish blade, is able to slice through it like no problem. Yeah. Um, but what they didn't realize is that there are other ways out of um, Kirith Ungol or Torech Ungol, I guess, is the name of the tunnel itself. Um, and so he was running or they're running and they thought they were free and in fact it says too little did he or his master know of the craft of shelob then we yeah we get this kind of like narrative of like her history yeah which is super cool yeah uh which is both about like scary how old and evil she is which i love this description none could rival her shelob the great the last child of Ungoliant to trouble the unhappy world which fuck yeah and it talks about um her and Gollum's um kind of weird little allyship implies equals which they are not but that Gollum will lure things in for her to eat yeah um, and that, in fact, when he went missing earlier, when they were napping, he was talking to her and telling her that he was going to bring her some hobbits. Sweet, sweet hobbit meat. Yeah. Uh... Oh, oh, and there's also, there's a there's an interesting moment here. We don't need to get really deep into it. I, we could talk, we could do like a whole separate thing about like yeah. orcs and how weird and complicated they are. Are, mm-hmm. But, like, here specifically, so it's talking about, like, I said allyship before, and that was inaccurate as applied to Gollum and Shelob, and, but the book applies it to Shelob and Sauron, who are pretty much like, we don't fuck with each other, and, like, it serves each of our purposes for the other to exist, so mm-hmm. it's fine. It's, like, a mutually beneficial relationship. And Shelob eats... Sauron's like orcs that which have to like navigate the caves in the area and it explicitly says and orcs they were useful slaves but he had them in plenty if now and again she loved caught them to stay her appetite she was welcome he could spare them but like that specific description of like his relationship to the orcs yeah, that, that, that like that they are like not willing allies. They're his slaves. Yeah, they're not. They're not willing participants in in this system. Or enslaved by him. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, which just, you know, I'm not, I don't even know that I'm super interested in, like, parsing out because I don't think it's very, I don't think it's, like, a clear thing all the way through. But it just, I feel like every time I kind of have a book, uh, kind of have a handle on, like, what the book thinks of these people, there's some other wrinkle that, like, tumbles the ground beneath me. Yeah. Um, anyways... Uh, so Sam is trying to catch up with Frodo because Frodo is like a dog off the leash. Like Frodo is is just like in a state and running. Um, and it says hardly had Sam hidden the light of the star glass when she came a little way ahead and to his left. He saw suddenly issuing from a black hole of shadow under the cliff, the most loathly shape that he had ever beheld horrible beyond the horror of an evil dream yeah and yeah and then the description of her is like genuinely one of the grosser things we've encountered in the book so far yeah i'm not gonna read it even yeah it is but yeah it's it's a lot and then she's between sam and frodo and she's you know intent upon frodo and sam tries to warn him when Gollum attacks him oi Oi! I'm the only one who gets to jump my boyfriend! That's my bad <laughs> Sam voice. I don't know what happened with it, but the point is only yes. Sam is allowed to pounce on Frodo. Yeah, and Shelob is about to instead, and then Gollum pounces on Sam. So much pouncing. Ugh. Um yeah. and he calls Sam a nasty, filthy little sneak. Um but fury at the treachery and desperation at the delay when his master was in deadly peril gave to Sam a sudden violence and strength that was far beyond anything that Gollum had expected from this slow, stupid hobbit as he thought him. Not Gollum himself could have twisted more quickly or more fiercely. And yeah, and Solemn does it. Er, Solemn. <laughs> Sam Gollum. Oh, God. Um, Is that your OC, Joey? No. Um, and Sam, you know, gets a little stuck still. And then he, he literally like, he just like falls backward onto Gollum. (laughs) And squishes him. Um, it's great. And it works pretty well. And then he smacks him with a staff and then, uh, Gollum runs away. Um, and Sam, Sam... It's like Gollum runs back into the caves. Yeah. And Sam starts to chase after him and then has to like stop himself and be like, oh yeah, Frodo was being attacked. He's so like caught up in the moment. Yeah. He spun round and rushed wildly up the path, calling and calling his master's name. He was too late. So far, Gollum's plot had succeeded. Wow. His chapter ending was... I know they're so good just kick me in the so like I know you know there's this like Sam is Frodo's gardener and so he calls him master because like that's historically like you know it's a thing with staff I don't love it either I have a suggestion which is that for the rest of the book when we read sections we're going to replace the word master with boyfriend yeah perfect calling and calling his boyfriend's name at some places, yeah, Somet- I don't even need right. to. Right, yes. Sometimes you can just leave it off. Sometimes it's when Sam is call- is talking to Frodo, and that could be, like, beloved or, you know. Yeah, there's at some point <laughs> but- in this segment, I think 
it had already passed and I just like missed my note on it, but Sam calls Frodo repeatedly. Me oh no, dear, we haven't we're not dear. there. Oh, is yet. that coming yeah. up? Oh, phew. Yeah, okay. we I would not have record. let that we'll get, pass. We'll get there. Don't worry. I, you know, I figure. Um and so we're on to the last chapter, the choices oh my God, of Master which Samwise. This chapter is so much. Yeah. Uh so like Shelob is over Frodo and is beginning to like drag his body away. Um Sam did not wait to wonder what was to be done or whether he was brave or loyal or filled with rage. He sprang forward with a yell and seized his boyfriend's sword in his left hand because it had been lying beside Frodo. Then he charged. No onslaught more fierce was ever seen in the world of beasts where some desperate small creature armed with little teeth alone will spring upon a tower of horn and hide that stands above its fallen mate. And I just, I just want to, like, we just have to... I don't think he means mate in the British way, No, he explicitly does not. He is talking about animals defending their mates and that, like, and likening Sam to that. And... Like, there is yeah. no reason to use that imagery if you're not using that imagery, you know? Yeah. Um. And he fights, he fights Shelob. He does. It's, it is gruesome. We, this is the, the yuckiest fight that it's, we've encountered so far. Yeah, it's really yucky. Um, and, uh, she ends up trying to sort of like drop down on him to crush him, but he, which is funny because he just did that successfully. To yeah, Donald. it is. It's a funny parallel, but he just like holds Sting up, and she like stabs herself deep on it. Um, and it says, "No such anguish had Shelob ever known or dreamed of knowing in all her long world of wickedness." Um. And he's just like staying by Frodo and then he pulls out the file. Even though Yeah, even what? Yeah, no, yeah. Sorry. He he pulls out the file and even though she's injured, she's like, Okay, we've gotta like in this fight, I'm just gonna crush this little dude and be done. Yeah. Um And Sam And he pulls out the file and says Galadriel, and then he kind of hears the music of the elves um in his head and yeah i i do want to read this line yeah. just because i think it's very mm-hmm. sweet he heard voices far off but clear the crying of the elves as they walked under the stars in the beloved shadows of the shire mm-hmm. and the music came through his sleep in the hall of the fire in the hall of fire in the house of elrond i love the beloved shadows of yeah. the shire and his tongue was loose, and his voice cried in a language which he did not know. He speaks Melvish. Yes. Um, and with that, he's... <laughs> Eagle-eyed viewers will uh, will note that we'll be coming back to this particular section later. We will, perhaps. For another vow. Yep. <laughs> um, and then he says, Now come, you filth, he cried. You've hurt my boyfriend, you brute, and you'll pay for it. We're going on, but we'll settle with you first. Come on and taste it again. 
Um, and oh, as if his indomitable spirit had set its potency in motion, the glass blazed suddenly like a white torch in his hand. It flamed like a star that, leaping from the firmament, sears the dark air with intolerable light. Um, and she falls back, her mind in agony, and, like, crawls back into her lair. She's, I mean, she's having a migraine. Yeah. Her sight blasted by inner lightnings, her mind in agony. Yeah, it's bad. Like, that's a migraine, bro. You need yeah. to go find a dark room. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I also really like, um, no such terror out of heaven had ever burned in Shelob's face before. Yeah. No such terror great... as a, you know, protective boyfriend. Yeah, truly. And she, um, she slowly and painfully drags herself away in defeat and manages to, um, get back inside the caves as Sam pursues her, still, like, swinging at her legs as she disappears inside. Yeah. And then he goes back to Frodo and... Oh, God. Um, as he had run... Oh, right. Frodo. So as Frodo had run forward, eager, rejoicing to be free, Shelob with hideous speed had come behind and with one swift stroke had stung him in the neck. He lay now pale and heard no voice and did not move. And Sam like lays his head upon Frodo's breast and to his mouth, but no stir of life could he find nor feel the faintest flutter of the heart. Often he chafed his master's hands and feet and touched his brow, but all were cold. Frodo, Mr. Frodo, he called. Don't leave me here alone. It's your Sam calling. Don't go where I can't follow. Wake up, Mr. Frodo. Oh, wake up, Frodo, me dear, me dear. Wake up. There it is. There it is. Ah! Is there any line more iconic than don't go where I can't follow? Fuck off. Yeah. And like, it's your Sam. And yeah, my dear. And I just. Yeah. Then anger surged over him and he ran about his boyfriend's body in a rage, stabbing the air and smiting the stones and shouting challenges. Presently. Yeah. And then. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Just this moment, this upcoming moment, I feel like isn't given a lot of time or importance in the text and feels huge to me yeah which is that um sam realizes that frodo with pale face lying fast asleep under a a great dark cliff the vision he saw from the mirror of galadriel is frodo here dead in the pass um which is yeah (sighs) and then and then black despair came down on him and Sam bowed to the ground and drew his gray hood over his head, and night came into his heart, and he knew no more. Fuck. <sighs> um, yeah. And eventually he sort of comes to, uh, he's still in the same place. Um, the mountains had not crumbled, nor the earth fallen into ruin, which is just like, so evocative of like when like when personal tragedy happens and then like the world you're shocked the around world doesn't you. reflect right. it right yeah and it feels so wrong yeah. it's like my internal world my personal world has crumbled and nothing else has and there's like this 
like really jarring, like, you know, disconnect between like your experience and like the world around you that is just so awful. And that's, yeah. 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 I don't want to, um, unless you have other segments in here that you want to touch on, there's several kind of scenes of like Sam, Sam trying to like gather himself up for what comes next and convince, you know, he debates with himself, like whether to take the ring or whether to just stay here and die with Frodo. Um, And he has such a hard time, like, you know, he's gearing himself up and go, but he could not go, not yet. He knelt and held Frodo's hand and could not release it. And time went by and still he knelt holding his boyfriend's hand and in his heart keeping a debate. Um, and this is, this is, this is really rough. Um, he, like he debates tracking Gollum down and killing him and whether that would be worth it and decides it would not be worthwhile to leave his boyfriend for that. It would not bring him back. Nothing would. They had better both be dead together. And that too would be a lonely journey. Yeah. Which, and then, what am I to do then? He cried again, and now he seemed plainly to know the hard answer. See it through. Another lonely journey, and the worst. What, me, alone? Go to the crack of doom and all? Me, take the ring from him? The council gave it to him. But the answer came at once, and the council gave him companions so that the errand should not fail, and you are the last of all the company. The errand must not fail. I wish I wasn't the last, he groaned. I wish old Gandalf was here, or somebody. Why am I left all alone to make up my mind? I'm sure to go wrong. It's not for me to go taking the ring, putting myself forward. But you haven't put yourself forward. You've been put forward. And as for not being the right and proper person, why, Mr. Frodo wasn't, as you might say, nor Mr. Bilbo. They didn't choose themselves. Ah, well, I must make up my own mind. I will make it up. But I'll be sure to go wrong. That'd be Sam Gamgee all over. Which is, again, like we've talked before about kind of those messages from, like, his gaffer and things that he's internalized. And it's just, ugh. And then he he yeah, I... he really reasons it out after that. He's like, okay, like if he's found and the rings on him, the enemy will get it and then everything will be destroyed. So I have to take it. Yeah, and and a thing I really like about this moment is like you know, it's it's Sam talking with himself about what he should do, but like it's almost like he's having a conversation. Like the answer the answer came to him at once. He's like, he's like posing questions and then answering himself. But like, it reminds me of like earlier in the book when like Frodo is asking himself questions about what to do about Gollum. And he hears the voice of Gandalf who he believes to be dead in his head. And I feel like the, the implication here is this is now Sam having that conversation with Frodo who he thinks is dead. Yeah. He's asking those questions and those questions are being answered by Frodo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then very gently, he undid the clasp at the neck and slipped his hand inside Frodo's tunic. Then with his other hand raising the head, he kissed the cold forehead and softly drew the chain over it. 
Goodbye, my dear, he murmured. Forgive your Sam. He'll come back to this spot when the job's done, if he manages it, and then he'll not leave you again. Rest you quiet till I come, and may no foul creature come anigh you. And if the lady could hear me and give me one wish, I would wish to come back and find you again. Goodbye. And he puts the ring on. Forgive, forgive your Sam. Ah, <sighs> uh, okay, okay. And he... He looks at Frodo one last time and notes that Frodo is beautiful. Yeah. The light burned gently now with the soft radiance of an evening star in summer. And in that light, Frodo's face was fair of hue again, pale but beautiful with an elvish beauty, as one who has long passed the shadow. And with the bitter comfort of that last sight, Sam turned and hid the light and stumbled on into the growing dark. So he's just kind of like wandering around, like well, not not fully in himself. Yeah, he's he, you know, is going along this path and these steps but then they're like steps that go up to the tower and then there are people coming down from the tower and he has to hide yeah it's and it's not this is all happening like so quickly like he's had so little time to to process and he's exhausted yeah um and he uh, without really thinking about it, because there are people coming from both directions, he puts the ring on, um, which is kind of funny to me because, like, he's you know stopped Frodo from putting the ring on multiple times. I, I mean, less so in the book, to be fair. But like, and then like, as soon as he has the ring, he's like, "Yep, gonna just put this on immediately." He, he's had it for like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, but it's fine, you know. Uh. He, it does say, like, he did not feel invisible at all, but horribly and uniquely visible. And he knew that yeah. somewhere an eye was searching for him. Um, and his, like, senses are increased. Um, not his sight. His sight is kind of, like, weird now. But he can hear things and he can understand the orcs talking. Um, it says, perhaps the ring gave understanding of tongues, or simply understanding, especially of the servants of Sauron, its maker, so that if he gave heed, he understood and translated the thought to himself. Certainly, the ring had grown greatly in power as it approached the places of its forging, but one thing it did not confer, and that was courage. At present, Sam still thought only of hiding, of lying low till all was quiet again, and he listened anxiously. Mm. And then we hear and some then, orc conversation. Yeah, yeah. There's there's like two different groups of orcs, like one from Minas Morgul and one from the guard tower. Mm-hmm. And he realizes, he's overhearing them realize that there is a, a body up in the road ahead, which is Frodo. Yeah. And he's so tired he's trying to follow them but he's like moving slowly because he's suddenly just like so exhausted um and then suddenly they you know have his body already and he is following them he's literally like running after them to try and keep up with them and he's so exhausted he like he can't he can't keep up with them yeah but eventually i mean you know mostly makes it but then they go where that fork was and the other side was blocked 
they go through somehow. Um, and he's trying to figure out like what to do then. Cause like how to continue following them when, uh, he hears them having a, the, the leaders of the yeah, two, a further conversation, groups. um, about like orc politics. Yeah. Orc politics. Um, but then eventually about Frodo and Frodo being still alive alive because Shelob likes to eat her prey alive yes and literally it says um, this fellow isn't dead sam reeled clutching at the stone (laughs) oh god he felt as if the whole dark world was turning upside down (laughs) sam and he says to himself you fool He isn't dead, and your heart knew it. Don't trust your head, Samwise. It is not the best part of you. (laughs) Which I just... Oh, God. Yeah. 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 And then he's trying to figure out what to do. The orcs explain that this important prisoner is to be kept safe and to be searched, and... That they're worried, the orcs are worried because they realize that there must have been a second person who fought off Shelob, uh, and they're they're worried about that. So they have this important prisoner, and they got to keep an eye out for the second, probably mighty elf warrior with a giant sword and maybe a double-headed <laughs> axe as well. Yes. Um, Sam realizes that he can get over... The blockage is like a little gate and he can just climb over it and drop down on the other side. Yes. It is a little weird to me that it says it was probably only meant to be a stop against the intrusion of Shelob, fastened on the inside with some latch or bolt beyond the reach of her cunning. Um, But like, uh, it is wild to me that like a spider creature couldn't just like climb over that. Maybe she's just too big. <laughs> big to get through the opening but like she squeezes yeah, I, herself through smaller spaces though i thought uh, i'm i'm picturing this as like not very much space up top hmm. although the thing has to be the top of the door has to be low enough that sam can reach it by jumping which is not that tall yeah it says, <laughs> maybe this to is his surprise he noticed that the great block was shaped like a heavy door and was less than twice his own height so like damn sam you got hops one and a half times as tall as him you know um yeah or half again as tall as him um i I feel like this gate could not actually keep shelob out it was it was like the gate to make people people feel better about like look there's a gate it's fine yeah like it's security theater it's (laughs) oh oh no the little orcs are in there washing their groceries We disinfect every 15 minutes and therefore we're safe from Shelob. We disinfect our soul cycle spin cycles every 15 minutes. Uh, okay. Um, Anyways, so he gets so, through. Yeah. Oh. Um, and is running after them. Um, and, and one of the orcs says, like, up to the top of the tower, up to the top, I say. He'll be safe there. Will he? Said Sam. You're forgetting the great big elvish warrior that's loose. 
Um, and with that, he raced around the last corner, only to find that by some trick of the tunnel or of the hearing which the ring gave him, he had misjudged the distance. The two orc figures were still some way ahead, and then they like go up into these double doors, and he is running, but he can't get in in time. Sam yelled and brandished And, and, and they can't hear him. Right, but his little voice was drowned in the tumult. No one heeded him. The great doors slammed too. Boom! The bars of iron fell into place inside. Clang! The gate was shut. Sam hurled himself against the bolted brazen plates and fell senseless to the ground. He was out in the darkness. Frodo was alive, but taken by the enemy. Ah! Here ends the second part of the history of the War of the Ring. That's the end of The Two Towers. Nice little happy spot for us to end on. Wow. Fuck. Hey, at least Frodo isn't dead. Yet. I am not yet dead. Um, yeah. Poor Sam and his little, like, his little one-liner at the end. Like, not even being heard. I know. It's just... So what was your favorite horse today? Sam... Sam the workhorse of love yeah I just I mean I love that like he has these incredible heroic moments in this chapter and also he continues to be you know bumbling and unsure of himself and things and like Tolkien never you know flattens him into either one of those things like we get both and I love that about Sam I mean I love it about all of Tolkien's characters but especially Sam Yeah, especially here. Well, and I think of, like, all of this is so affecting, but I think of, like, Sam trying multiple times to leave Frodo's side and literally being, like, unable to leave his body. And then experiencing all of this, like, in this fog of, of, like, despair and grief and, like, utter exhaustion. Yeah. Ugh. So what was your favorite horse? Um, the, the one, um, implied to be in the garden when Frodo remembers Sam waking him up in the Shire. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no actual mention, but there's so obviously a horse outside there. A little pony. Yeah. When, when Sam is describing his ideal like when he's talking about rest, good and proper mm-hmm. rest in the morning's work in the garden, like in his ideal version of the world, like Bill is definitely there. Oh, absolutely. Like, digging in the digging in the wheelbarrow as Sam tries to push mm-hmm. it, you know? Yeah. Hmm. So that's that's vows one and two in the end of the book. How are you feeling? Great. Hey, do you think someone has written like a Sam runs a florist shop AU. Oh, maybe. I would I feel like it's got to happen just because Flower Shop AU is like such a pillar of the community and like Lord of the Rings fanfic has been around for a long time. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it can't be done by you. Yeah. Just thinking about Sam surrounded by flowers. Yeah. I don't know what Frodo does in that situation, but can I can I pitch you on a on a slight tweet? Yeah. 
Sam, who has a farmer's market stall, and Frodo being the customer who, like, comes and, like, spends way too much money on his stock every week. And, like, Sam does not understand that it is to get the chance to talk to Sam. Like, Sam's, Sam's like, yeah, that, that weird, pale, handsome man came and bought all my sweet potatoes again this week. And Mary and Pippin are like, Sam! <laughs> yeah. He wants to date Sam you! Sam is like, I was actually... Uh, I was like, mm, also farmer's market stall in my head. I just hadn't said it yet. So good. Um, I mean, see, here's the other thing is like, it can be both. Like Sam can have, you yeah. know, can have like his weekday shop and then his Saturday stall. Um, oh my gosh. But like. There's so many flavors of it because there's also like Sam has a little garden stand at the farmer's market. And Frodo sells, like, antique books next door. And they keep, like, bumping into each other in awkward and endearing ways. I was going to say that, like, Sam is really, like, gratified by Frodo's interest in his vegetables. And he's like, man, like, he just has such appreciation for my produce. (laughs) A real professional interest. (laughs) I've never seen a man hold a potato so tenderly. (laughs) Oh, my God, Frodo can't grow anything he does for like a hobbit especially he does not have a grief thumb yeah but he does fold like either does like paper cut or like beautiful origami paper flowers for sam Mm. and leaves him at the flower stand because he's too shy to give them to him in person and sam does not pick up that it's from like the beautiful book dealer next door (laughs) wow uh so our first two vows done kept done i i gotta say i really was pleasantly surprised that there were any horses at all yeah in this section. so that's a win i mean for the us. real horse was the gay love we found along the way that's how the saying goes right that, that's how it goes <laughs> that's our that's our motto uh-huh. uh which brings us to vow number three which is to rewrite a song um, there, there was just the one in the segment, which is the, the snippet of Elvish that, like, Sam, Sam speaks in a, when he's fending off Shelob with the file of Galadriel. Yeah, so I have a question for you. Um, we, there was, like, yeah. a different version or different verse of kind of the same song earlier in the, like, in Fellowship that we rewrote in Elvish. Yeah, that was, like, yeah, back in Fellowship. Um, and we can certainly do that with this, but we have never specified in our vow that the song we rewrite has to be in the section that we read. Um mm. Do you want to go pick a stray from a different section? That's kind of what I'm thinking. I think, like, obviously we can do this, but I think probably it's more fun for everyone, uh, for us. To- if it's not <laughs> <Right>. Elvish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm into it. Okay. Let me um, pull up and the also list because our- we've already done like part of this kind of same, like we know it's a uh, Shadowfax Gilthoniel, right? Like it's about Shadowfax as a star instead of a star as a star. And so like it, it's not a new, I want a new pitch, you know? Yeah. Okay. Let me read you some snippets and you call out when you hear something good. Okay. Um, Snow White, Snow White, Oh Lady Clear. Uh, ho ho to the bottle I go. Mm. Oh, wanderers in the shadowed land. 
hop along my little friends up the withy windle. Mm. I like either uh, hop along my little friends or ho ho to the bottle I go. Oh, we have so many more songs too. Uh, if you it, want, have, yeah, like a lot. Um, yeah, uh, I want something a little lighthearted. We've had a very intense few chapters, so you know, I think we should have some fun. What's the hop along up the withy window? That's something Tom Bombadil says, right? Yeah, sure. You don't want to do that because it's a Bombadil song. Let me let me grab it. I just hop along, my little friends, up the withy window. Tom's going on ahead, candles for to kindle. Down west sinks the sun, soon you will be groping. When the night shadows fall, then the door will open. Okay, I I don't love the inclusion of groping, and I especially don't like it rhymed with open. Well, we gotta fix it Out of the window then. panes. Out of the, out of the window, window panes. panes. Light will yeah. twinkle yellow. Fear no alder black. Heed no hoary willow. Fear neither root nor bough. Tom goes on before you. Hey now, Mary Doll, we'll be waiting for you. Oh yeah, and that's where we get before you and for you as a rhyme, which is also mm, sad. Yeah, I any of the Mary Dairy Doll Tom poems, not my thing. But we could we can rebuild it. We can make it better. We also have um, because like there are sort of various bits of this, you know. Um, that are all kind of part of the same song and when they finally get almost to the threshold then goldberry starts singing with him and we have Mm -hmm. the verse now let the song begin let us sing together of sun stars moon and mist rain and cloudy weather light on the budding leaf dew on the feather wind on the open hill bells on the heather reeds by the shady pool lilies on the water Old Tom Bombadil and the River Daughter. That is the most satisfying rhyme scheme of any of Tom's suck ass songs. Goldberry's yeah. the real, yeah, the real poet. Yeah. There's also, um, there's also in that segment. There's um, Tolkien's weird um, uh, cat in the fiddle. Oh. Poem, which we could we could rewrite part of if we wanted to do something that was like more narrative heavy than other stuff we've done like if we wanted to come up with our own weird like horse nursery rhyme that could be kind of fun yeah um okay hold on that's in that's at the sign of the that's in the chapter is at the sign of the prancing which pony which is after bombadil mhm okay yes this is tolkien's song that is literally two pages long um yeah. We're not doing no, that. No, we're but, but we, could, we do could do part of it, and two. I just want—I'm sure we said something about this at the time, maybe. But it is just so oh, funny to me that Tolkien was like, "Oh yes, this nursery rhyme you all know used to be much longer. Here's the whole thing." And about drinking burr. <sighs> yeah. Um. There. Okay. Uh. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, there are horses in it, which I think we mentioned at the when we talked about this. Then the ostler said to his tipsy cat, the white horses of the moon, they neigh and champ their silver bits, but their master's been and drowned his wits and the sun'll be rising soon. So the cat yeah, and the that's fiddle played hey diddle diddle. It's good. 
a jig that would wake the dead. They rolled the man slowly up the hill and bundled him into the moon while his horses galloped up in rear and the cow came capering like a deer and a dish ran up with you know the how deer spoon. Liked, you know how deer love to caper? Yeah. The cow and the horses stood on their heads. Wow. Um. Yeah, okay, okay. What if... So, like, the the premise of this is that there's an inn that brews a beer so brown, which I assume means delicious. Delicious. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's, it's rich, you know, like it's a good. I, it's, it's not no watery ale. Exactly. It's thick and flavorful um, and good. A, a, a beer so brown that the man in the moon himself came down one night to drink his fill. So what if instead of it being the man in the moon, it's like Fellerof. Or, you know, some, like, oh, yeah, legendary like horse. And maybe it's not beer, it's, you know, whatever horses are into. Oats. I think we should keep it beer. Okay, TBH. great. It's a, you know... Horse it's a, beer. We've done, we've done a lot of stuff about oats. Uh-huh. I think the horse god can drink a fucking Equine frosty ale. brew if he wants. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, okay, there is an inn, a merry old inn, beneath an old gray hill, and there they brew a beer so brown that... Fellerov himself came down. Actually, that works fine. One night to drink his fill. The the, the man in the moon. Yeah, but it's Fellerov. It's it doesn't have because it's that that the man in the moon. It, he's already sort of cramming those syllables, and so yeah. you can just say that Fellerov himself came down, and because the is sort That's of fine. the yeah. It's like 16th note, 8th note, 2 sixteenths, 8th in The Man in the Moon, and Fellerov is just 3 eighth notes without the 16th pickup at the beginning. Okay. Okay, then... We, okay, let's then let's jump... We definitely don't need all of it. Let's jump to the next stanza that talks about The Man in the Moon, which is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. The 6th verse. Fellerov was drinking deep. And the cat began to wail. See, I just don't know what else to to change. Mm. This is funny because then it's like Fellerov has a, a carriage with horses that pull it. <laughs> Fellerov is really so funny. cool of a horse that he is pulled around by other horses. <laughs> They rolled the horse slowly up the hill and bundled him into the moon. Oh, because he lives in there. While his horses galloped up it. in rear and the cow came capering like a deer and a dish ran up with the spoon. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't this, know what to do with this. Wait, no, no, no. What I'm saying is... I think if we want to do this one, it has to be a little more transformative, you know? Yeah, I'm just not sure what to transform. Like, what? I mean, I guess, like, okay, let's just, let's keep the the rhyme scheme, like the, you know, mm-hmm. the, um, whatchamacallit, the meter, etc. The... A-A-B-B-A. Yeah, but there's, um, the, I guess it's just the form. That's what different, you know, like a sonnet, an ode, a... a a villanelle, a whatever, you know, they're all forms. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Anyways. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, what happens after Felleroff comes to drink his fill of beer? What if it's... I want to switch it up. What if it's not a cat that plays the fiddle? What if it's, like, the king of Rohan who comes and plays the fiddle? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh... The ostler knows a nice old king that plays a five-stringed fiddle. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah cuz yeah, like the that. rhyme scheme is and actually then we'll it's, it's a b c c b. Oh yeah, it sure is. Yeah. And up and down he yes, runs his yes, bow. Right. Now yeah. Um now what? Squeaking high now purring low. They should be you... horse words. Yes. Now now neighing high, now whinnying low, now yeah, now so, something, something in the middle. Now rearing high, now neighing low. It does. It's there. It's a different, but winning feels like too many syllables. I mean, it it works if you say it. The you know, but um, the ostler knows that. What did you say? Knows a nice old king. <laughs> Plays. The five-string fiddle. Up and down he runs his bow. Now winning high, now neighing low. That's fine. Now winning high, now neighing. What's low? What's the last? I don't. I don't person? know. Now sawing in the middle, but I don't know what sawing should be. That was what we were stuck on. Um, I mean, we could keep sawing because that is not. That doesn't refer to the cadedness. We could, I mean, if we wanted to, we could do, like, now trotting in the middle or something. Mm, yeah, actually. Okay, now trotting in the middle. Um. I do want to do that. The man in the, or, um, Felleroff was drinking deep and the king began to wail. Mm, yes. Yes, now Felleroff was drinking deep. And? The king began to wail. King began to wail. And then Frodo we can maybe swap and some of Sam these up for... on the table danced. Oh, I feel like I love it being Frodo and Sam, but we know that Merry and Pippin are the table dancers. Yeah, but right now they're Frodo and Sam. Okay, Frodo and Sam the on the dish table and the spoon danced. run away together. So like that's obviously like the ship here, that's... and it's Frodo and Sam. You know? Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um. Yeah. But we do have a cow here and a dog, um, which are mentioned earlier, so like we could recast them as well. Um Yeah. Uh in fact, um that earlier verse about uh it's just one little dog, but it could be two hobbits. It could be Mary and Pippin. So like and and the yeah. hobbits chased their tails. Um <laughs> Could, oh, that's really that's actually really cute. the line there. Um, and then what's what's the cow in the garden? Um, I mean, I kind of want it to be Sam or Sam the pony. I kind of want it to be Bill the pony, just because he's such like the spiritual mm, heart of yeah. Just say Bill the pony madly pranced, and the hobbits chased their tails. Great. Um, do you think we need one more, or is that enough? Because we've introduced we've introduced the horse. Who likes to drink? We've introduced the king playing fiddle, and here's the chaos of those two together. Yeah. Um, Maybe one what more about stanza the to second to last verse, which uh, originally goes with a ping and a pong. The fiddle strings broke, 
The cow jumped over the moon, and the little dog laughed. No, the cow is. Wait, yes, that is Bill. Okay, sorry. Yes, Um, and the little dog laughed to see such fun, and the Saturday dish went off at a run with a silver Sunday spoon. God, it is really perfect too for it to be Frodo and Sam if it's the Saturday dish and the Sunday spoon. It is. Um, Okay, so with a ping and a pong, the fiddle strings broke. Bill jumped over the moon. Hold on. Okay, with a ping and a pong, the fiddle strings broke. Bill jumped over. Old old Bill jumped over the moon. And the hobbits laughed to see such fun. See such fun. And the gardener, Sam, went off at a run. With Okay, so this is where it gets tricky because we had the bill jumped over the moon and moon and spoon have to rhyme. So we either have to figure out spoon or another word that rhymes with moon to end this line about Sam or which could be swoon we can change or moon. we have to change moon. Um, uh, um, okay, we could do this is very literal, but like we could do something about like old bill kicking the gate and Sam and Frodo going off on a date. Yes, it could also be, and Sam the gardener went off at a run with Frodo, his little spoon. Oh, oh, obviously! And Sam, and the gardener Sam went off on the run with Frodo, his little spoon. That's, this is the best thing we've ever made. <laughs> weird, okay, and this is the weird, um, what is the name of this nursery rhyme? Cat in the fiddle. Yes. Sing hey diddle diddle. Okay, so. Can you. Page 156. Yep, I'll copy and paste. Okay, so there's four stanzas. So do you want to just trade back and forth? Yeah. Okay. There is an inn, a merry old inn, beneath an old gray hill. And there they brew a beer so brown that Felleroff himself came down one night to drink his fill. The ostler knows a nice old king who plays the five-string fiddle, and up and down he runs his bow, now winning high, now neighing low, now trotting in the middle. Now Felleroff was drinking deep, and the king began to wail. Frodo and Sam on the table danced, Bill the pony madly pranced, and the hobbits chased their tails. With a ping and a pong the fiddle strings broke, old Bill jumped over the moon, and the hobbits laughed to see such fun. And the gardener Sam went off at a run with Frodo, his little spoon. Ah! Wow. wow. I really, I really feel like we like fought, we fought for that one and it panned out. Yes. I feel so inspired. Honestly, we're not going to do this, but I'm tempted now to like pull a few more verses just to like flesh out the, the arc and oh like make it this, you know. Maybe when we're not multiple hours into a about, recording. Yes. Yep. Um, okay, I think we have a, a lit beacon. Oh yeah, that's vow number three, check. Yes. Vow number four. Vow number four. Um, okay, we have uh, t- two questions? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's do one of which is a little more meaty than the other, so let's start with the less meaty one first. Oh, I was hoping to start with the meatier one, because I think the other one will be... A nice closer. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Less take the take the bring me the meat. Um okay, I think this uh was from Emma? 
Oh wait, oh, no, we no, have, no, sorry. We, I just we, did the. I said the one thing, and then I flopped it around in my head. Okay, no, I was we're like, doing are the we? Thing. We're doing the okay. thing. I said I just am confusing myself. Okay, um, Ben, a uh, friend of the pod, Ben has um lit a beacon and says, "What happens to the elvish horses when they reach the Grey Havens?" Um, so last episode you know we saw this procession with arwen because they were going mm-hmm. to get on the last boat to leave middle earth <laughs> the last boat <laughs> the last boat. um and they were riding a bunch of horses so when they get on those boats what happens to those horses what do you think yeah that's a good question we also this is informed by we were poking around when um either recording the last episode or watching the movies for it. And we were on, I was on a, um, an online Lord of the Rings encyclopedia. I had not visited yet. And on the shadow facts page, it said that it is textually implied that shadow facts goes into the West with Gandalf, his bud. Yeah. Um, which we haven't, we haven't encountered yet, but I do really like the idea that the entire, the entire belly of that elf ship is just full of horses. Yeah. Uh, so, Kyrdon, uh, Gandalf's right. longtime fiancé. Gandalf's ex. Oh, I don't know that they're exes. I think it's just a... I think they're exes, but, like, not in a... I think they're exes in a very companionable way. Like They're not bitter exes. They're not, they're not Gandalf and Saruman They're exes, exes who, like, know? might make a podcast together. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> oh my god, Gandalf and Saruman with their, or Gandalf and Kyrdan with their own fucking podcast. Wretched. They can call it the Gay Havens. <laughs> I was drinking water. I was just curious. I just looked up. I want to make use of my uh, fantastic complete guide to to uh, Middle Earth. So I looked up Grey Havens and it says town and harbor of Kyrdan. It's just his town and harbor located at the head of the Gulf of Loon. Man with a town and harbor. Mm -hmm. The Grey Havens were founded in SA1, which I would assume refers to a time period. Um, Time. And it is said that Kyrdan dwelt there until the last white ship sailed over sea sometime in the fourth age. The last, the last boat? The actual last boat to leave <laughs> Middle Earth. I believe that um, when I see it. Although I don't actually know when the fourth age is. When does the... This is the third age. Right? That's what I was going to say, but I wasn't positive. This is the end of the third age. I'm like 90% sure. Man, Elrond really lied to Arwen. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't, we can't, we can't go, we can't go down to the boat thing again. Um, um, I feel like horses going to the, going to the gay havens <laughs> is... The real version of the euphemism of animals going to the farm. Uh, I'm sorry, do you want to elaborate on that? 
Um, they are going to a nice, nice-ass farm in the country. Lots of room to run around. Lots of fresh, fluffy hay. All the oats that they want. No more work unless they desire it. But you're saying that's like it's that's just real. Pit. Like they actually get that. I, yes, I said yeah, the okay. real version of the euphemism. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I have, I have two takes and you're right. The third Mm -hmm. age started with, um, the first downfall of Sauron and ended with second and final downfall of Sauron. Um, and the last riding of the keepers of the rings. The third age. In which the greatest of the Eldar still in Middle Earth departed overseas. began with the downfall of Sauron? The first downfall of Sauron. Yes. That's that's a big yeah, chunk it's of an time. Age. I guess. Damn. Um and but it's it's not just the second and final downfall of Sauron that ends the third age. It's the last riding of the keepers of the rings, in which the greatest of the Eldar still in Middle earth departed over sea. Um, which is partly like Yeah, because the whole is, thing is like right, magic. Is the elf rings, but I suspect that's also when because Wait, does Gandalf leave when Frodo does? Yeah, so that's yeah. G- Gandalf, Celeborn, yes, and Galadriel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Galadriel, so, yeah. Bilbo, yes. yeah, all of this. Does is Cirdan's on that boat with mm. them? So that boat's actually right, or is he just there because it's his gay well, havens? Well, he's there because it's his gay havens, but I don't know if he also is he on that boat or is he on a no? Because that's boat? the last boat. No, it's not the last boat. Wait, that doesn't mean anything. Um, because Sam takes a boat later. Wait, 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 wait. Canonically. Sorry, I just read this thing about Cirdan and then I... Okay, hold on. I have to look him up in the book. Because it said something about into the fourth age, which would be way past that. So then he would stay there. Okay, Cirdan. Oh, which means shipmaker. Elf, one of the wisest oh. of the Sindar in the first age, Lord of the Falas, a mariner and shipwright. Um, in the second and third ages, Círdan was lord of the Grey Havens and possessed Narya, one of the three rings, from its making until he gave it to Gandalf when the latter came to Middle-earth. Círdan fought against Sauron with the army of the Last Alliance and in the third age frequently aided the Dúnedain of the North. He was also a member of the White Council. It is said that he remained in Middle-earth, serving with his wisdom and his ships, until the sailing of the last white ship sometime in the fourth age. Okay. He stayed. Yeah. Until later. Mm. Círdan was very tall. At the end of the third age, he had a long beard and looked nice. old. That's what <laughs> Gen- it says. Gandalf twirling a beard around one finger. So you're six too? <laughs> um, Joey, we are getting mega sidetracked. What do you think happens to horses? Two possibilities. One, that Círdan is a horse yes. girl and he just keeps them all. He just has so many oh, horses. The gr- there's because there's no people. There's no. We were talking about this during the movie. Like, is it just this big empty city that no one lives in? It's just Maybe full of horses, those horses off camera. Become like people living there. <laughs> Maybe it's a horse city. <laughs> they all hide. Okay, it being they a all... horse city and horses okay, turning okay. into people are two. No, real I mean they don't turn showing. into humanoids, but they become like more person-like in in 
in thinking and personality. Like they get they become closer to Felleroth yes. than yes. Than they they hide when were. people come to get on ships, but the rest of the time they're like in the marketplace trading, and there are horse farmers and horse, oh. you know. Uh, oh my god! There, there's there's like two horses all, at the yeah. farmers market currently living out the exact yes. AU we described with Sam yes. and Frodo <laughs> at the horse yes. farmers so market. That's. One possibility and the other possibility is that horses can get on boats. Horses have been on boats in the real world. Horses can be on elf boats. Elf boats are probably better at holding horses than IRL boats are. They don't like it, but I feel like the combination of an elf horse with an elf boat would not be so bad. Yeah, they're chill. Do you think Bill the Pony gets to go to the Grey Havens? Yeah. We're not going to think about it any further. (laughs) Okay, anyways... (laughs) Asked and answered. Asked and answered. Okay. Uh, what's our second question? Uh, this is from a f- friend of the pod, Emma, who <laughs> sends us a Twitter post, um, which is a little horse, a little, po- it looks kind of ponyish, poking its head over a, a stone wall with the caption, can horses get stoned? Can horses get stoned? Obviously. End of podcast. I mean, I think probably they can. I don't know that they should, but I think probably, at least in Middle Earth, there's like a horse version of catnip where they can like safely get mm. stoned. I bet Rohan I was absolutely say, has like, has this figured out. Horse nip. Yeah. Horse nip. I was going to say that horses get high on the unadulterated joy of running. Oh, Yeah. Feet go fast, brain go burr. Ha ha. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Great. Thank you for lighting the beacon. If you have your questions, you can send them in. And we will happily answer them with the academic diligence we have just displayed. Absolutely. Um, I also want to thank everyone who voted in our poll um, after, I guess, the second to last episode was released. Um, Thank you for proving me right with my texture opinions. Everyone who listens to our podcast has bad texture opinions. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review, like, share, subscribe, smash that like button. Oh, yeah. Actually, I was going to say, if you want to uh, leave us a review on iTunes, you can do that. And please help us reach the other horse girls out there. It would mean a lot to us. Yeah. Spread the word. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. The music you heard at the beginning was Horse by Horse, arranged and performed by Caitlin and Joey. That's us. You can listen to it again at soundcloud.com shadowfactspod. The cover art was made by Annie Johnston Click at Dancy Naru on Twitter. I'm Caitlin, my pronouns are they, them, and you can follow me at Chalo and Behold on Twitter. You can follow the show at ShadowFactsPod and email your horse-related Lord of the Rings questions to ShadowFactsPod at gmail.com. Joining me on this journey there and back again is... Joey. My pronouns are they, he, and you can follow me on Twitter at JoeyThePrince. If you want to read and watch along, check the episode description for the segment we'll cover next time. This has been ShadowFacts. One horse to rule them all!